Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, y'all. Good morning, good morning. Hey, we've got, I got one more thing I want to go through pretty quickly before we jump in the message, and that is after, immediately after church today, if you serve, volunteer anywhere in our church family, whether it is um, in, in a ministry that's outside of this building, you know, in, in, in M2540 or whatever it may be, or if you're, you serve in tots or kids or the parking team, or I don't care where it is that you serve at the front door, wherever you may serve, we really want you to come down to the, to the uh, church property right down the street, right on the other side of the trail going down Flat Rock Road, and we're going to have lunch, good, good lunch, um, Boston butts and baked beans and coleslaw and macaroni and cheese, and we're going to have a cornhole tournament. And the legit prizes, first place team gets a 100 buck gift card and an axe throwing competition, axes or throwing knives. Um, and the first prize for that is 50 bucks for, the, for that one winner. And there are second and third place gift cards as well for those things. And I wasn't sure about the second and third place because really second place is really first loser. But we're going to have... <laughs> We're going to have second and third as well, a bronze and silver, or silver and bronze medalist as well. But we also have a little skee-ball thing. It's just going to be a good time. We, don't, we want to serve you as volunteers. We don't want you to do anything but come down there and have a good time for a couple of hours. So please plan on shooting down there after, uh, immediately after, after church. And what if I didn't sign up? If you didn't sign up for the luncheon, just show up. You didn't have to register. If you haven't volunteered yet, come down there too. I'll probably get in trouble for saying that, but but we appreciate you too because you're gonna volunteer. We appreciate we appreciate your future volunteerhood. How about that? Okay, all right. I'm getting heckled. I hadn't even started. <laughs> Y'all, we are um, we are in Acts chapter 11. We've been walking through the book of Acts. We took a little break and jumped into an Easter series that culminated uh, a couple weeks ago on Easter. But we've been in the book of, the, the book of Acts, Luke's, uh, really Luke's second volume. But we're going to be in, in Acts chapter 11, and what happens in, in Acts chapter 11 is, and really 10 and 11, they kind of go together, is incredibly important, uh, the events in, in Acts chapter 10 and 11, incredibly important in, uh, to church history. We saw in chapter 10... These, this whole narrative with Peter and, and Cornelius and, and uh, Peter and, and had visions and Cornelius um, had a, a conversation with, with an angel and he, the angel sent, uh, had Cornelius send his guys down to, to get Peter and Peter comes back up there and he shared to Cornelius in Caesarea and he shares the gospel with Cornelius and, and his friends and his family and and, and the Holy Spirit falls on them and indwells them, and they're saved. It's an amazing, it's amazing narrative in Acts chapter 10. And it is so important, so important for Luke, who wrote, again, Luke wrote Acts, so important that he actually, it's actually recorded really a few, that those two, the thing with Cornelius, the thing with Peter, really recorded multiple times in, in these two chapters. Peter's vision is, is recorded in chapter 10 and then again in chapter 11. And what happened with Cornelius is, is, is uh, in chapter 10, really twice in chapter 10, and then again in chapter 11. We're going to see that in a, in a minute. But clearly, my point is that this whole deal with uh, 
with what happened with Cornelius and Peter, it is so important to the Lord to get that across to me and you, to get the, the principles that come out of that so important for us. The fact that Gentiles, and again, you had Jews and you had Gentiles. You had Jews and you had Gentiles. And this fact that Gentiles can be saved, somebody that wasn't Jewish could be saved. The fact that God shows no partiality. The, the, the fact that God doesn't elevate one people up above another. He does, he's not prejudiced. The fact that the gospel is for everyone. Black, white, blue, green, purple. The gospel is for everyone. It's so important, so important for the Lord to get that point across to us. And so what we're going to see in, uh, in chapter 11 is that the early church, and that is what, when I say that I mean the, 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 the people in the early church, and, and most all of them were Jewish believers. You know, what, the word Christian really doesn't even show up for 20 or 30 years after that first Easter weekend. But so most all of those people in Jerusalem and really in and around uh, Jerusalem, they're Jewish believers. They didn't look at it as a separate, like a separate thing. And so we're going to see this in, with those people, those people in the early church, that they had a vision for what it was going to look like. They had a vision for what the church, the, the, the body, the, the people, they had a vision for what that was going to look like. And it was a super narrow vision, and it was a super traditional kind of vision. But God's will and God's vision for the church, for the body of Christ, was much bigger and much broader than the people. Does that make sense? The people had this narrow view of what it was going to be. And so we're going to see that, and we're going to see God's vision, that it's broad and it's, and it's wide and it's much bigger, that it was, it's a worldwide mission. And then we're going to see how the, the church, how the body, how the people, how they responded to what God's will and what God's vision and the way that he saw it. We're going to see how the people respond to that. So first of all is this, that this early church, the, the church, their, their vision, and if you've got a, a, a worship guide, if you don't have a worship guide, raise your hand, we want to get one, but there's some fill in the blanks. You need a worship guide? Would somebody grab one, please? Um, the church's early vision was narrow and it was traditional. Look at the first three verses of chapter 11. It says, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, so this is all of the, really it's the, all of the believers that were throughout Judea, the apostles, the brothers, the sisters, they heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, and you know you always go up, you probably read that in scripture, you're like, what does that mean? It doesn't matter if you're coming from the north, the south, the east, or the west, you go up to Jerusalem. And so Scripture says, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. The circumcision party was really the, the, the most conservative of the Jewish believers. So the circumcision party, but they're believers now. They're Jewish believers. The circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? And, you know, and that's the way they probably said it. Have you lost your mind, Peter? You went to uncircumcised men, and you had dinner with them? Like, how dare you? That's, that's what's there. 
So the apostles and the brothers and the sisters in Jerusalem, they heard about Peter's preaching mission to the Gentile folks up in Caesarea to Cornelius and Cornelius' friends and family and about those people that those people ha- that they heard and that they, re- they received the word of God. Y'all, there ain't no doubt that word travels fast. And usually when someone perceives the, 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 the news to be gossipy or maybe even bad, it probably travels faster. Because again, it was unheard of that a Jew would fellowship with a Gentile. A Jew would eat breaking bread with a, quote, dirty Gentile. And to top all of that off, they also heard that Peter had baptized those folks without circumcising them first. They got saved. This is what those people probably heard. Those people got saved in their, in their Gentileness. Like it's unheard of that that would have happened. Because again, most all of the believers at the time were Jewish believers. They were born Jewish. They were circumcised as little kids and they had been committed to the Jewish law, the the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 613 laws in the Old Testament. They were committed to that and had been committed to that since they were little kids committed to keeping all of the rules and all the regulations and all the rituals of Judaism since they were little. So when those Jewish believers, when they accepted Christ, they didn't just boot all of that Jewishness to the curb. I mean, they they didn't do that. Does that make sense so far at least? Yes, okay. They saw this Jesus thing kind of as a, as an extension of their Judaism. In their minds, Jesus just added another paradigm, another uh, more teachings to their Jewish religion, that he kind of fulfilled it, and, 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 they're, and they're not necessarily wrong, but the way that they saw that, it's like he just kind of completed their Judaism, but they didn't boot all of that other stuff Away, they didn't stop doing all that other stuff. So, so therefore, if a Gentile wanted to accept Christ, and this is going to sound super foreign to you, but if a Gentile wanted to accept Christ, he had to become a Jew first, and then he could. He had to become a Jew first. So there was a, a bunch of stuff really that that a person had to do. He had to he, first of all, he had to get circumcised as an adult. He had to commit himself to the Jewish law. Y'all didn't cringe when I said that. But he had, to, he had to commit himself. Some guys did. They had to commit themselves to the Jewish law. They had to observe all of the ceremonies and all the rituals and all the, the traditions of Judaism. Listen, my wife, when uh, Susan, she was saved when she was 11 years old. But she converted to Judaism for us to get married when she was 19 or 20. Now, that conversion to Judaism did not require her to forsake Jesus. There was no discussion of Jesus. She just went to this class every week for a year. She had to commit herself to the law of Moses. She had to commit herself to Jewish law, all 613. She had a a test, like no joke, she had a test. 
She had to learn about all the holidays and all the rituals and all the tradition and all the, the ceremonies, and she had to commit to all of that. The only thing that she didn't have to do that I spoke of a little while ago was that whole circumcision thing. They let her skip all of that, right? So, so really, now think about this, though. For this huge bucket of believers, Jewish believers in Jerusalem, a person had to do all those things. They had to become a Jew first, and then and only then could they receive Christ and be baptized. Had to do those things. And they could, then they could be accepted into the church. Then they could be accepted into the, into the body. So they look at Peter. Initially, they're looking at Peter like he had gone AWOL, like he had gone just off the reservation with, with his beliefs. He had allowed Gentiles to receive the word of God without circumcising them. That would have been the biggest issue. That he, and then he'd broken, he's in fact broken Jewish law by going into a Gentile's home and, and eating with them and hanging out with them. So the, lo- the, the early Christians, they're still loyal to their Jewish religion. All of the, those folks, they're blown away. They are, they are shaken, rocked to the core. This basic belief of so many of them, and not just the, the, the kind of the far right, but so many of them, that Jesus had, had come only to broaden and to extend Judaism was being big time challenged. And so Peter had to give an answer for all that. And his answer needed to be clear and his answer needed to be clearly understood. Now Peter could have pulled rank. Peter could have walked in there and, and been like, I was Jesus' best friend and I'm going to tell you what the deal is. But he doesn't do that. Like he doesn't do that at all. Verse 2, again, says that they criticized him. And the King James uses the word contended, but realistically, neither one of those words really paint the image of what that word really means. It really means to stand against, to stand opposed to, to take an opposite position, to take sides against, to split, to create tons of strife, to be a cancer in the body is really what that word means. To, to cause strife and discord and, 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 and struggle. You ever seen anybody do that in the church? <laughs> Divide, split. I want blue carpet. No, I want purple carpet. I want green carpet. No, we just going to go start another church because we can put whatever color carpet. Like, are you kidding me? That's the word that is used here. And these people, they... they they readily and they willingly and they loudly stirred the pot against Peter. They were pot stirrers. I mean, that's what they did. And the idea in that, <clears throat> in that verse is that it was repeated over and over and louder and louder and louder. And it went on and on and on. You ever <clears throat> be in a situation where you're talking to somebody and you don't really necessarily agree with them? And so they repeat it to you real slowly, and they get louder. Because obviously, if you don't agree with them, then you just don't understand, right? You don't understand. You, you don't have the noodle to understand what they're talking about. So they're going to get slow and repetitious and louder and louder and louder. That's what that means. That's what they did with Peter. It wasn't just they criticized him. It wasn't just they disagreed with him. They went 
bananas on him. Let me give you a couple thoughts on this. Some people, they want to hang their, they want to hang on to their, quote, religious form and their religious traditions and the ceremonies and the rituals and the, and the rules and the regulations. And I'm not necessarily just talking about Jews here, for sure. Jews can be super tied to, to all of the traditional stuff. I'm really talking about professing Christians. Christians who have got a, just this death grip on rituals and ceremony, and we've always done it this way. We've always done it this way. What a dumb reason to do anything. I'm just being honest. Now, if the thing that we're talking about is the right thing, and you've always done it that way, well, okay. But the reason you're doing it is because it's the right thing. The reason's not because we've always done it this way. Whatever it is, it needs to be steeped in biblical truth. There's got to be a reason to do whatever it is that we're doing. I want to give you what's called the turkey principle. Here's the turkey principle. I heard a story, actually I heard it this week, about a lady. And her daughter is watching her and she's fixing turkey for Thanksgiving. And she's tying the legs with a little string. You know what I'm talking about? Tying the legs up with a little string. The daughter says to the mama, why, why are you tying the string, the turkey legs with the string? And she said, well, that's the way mama did it. Always did it. Always tied the turkey legs with the string. Okay. Some years later, the daughter is cooking turkey for her family, Thanksgiving dinner for her family, and her husband or her son or daughter or something says, Mama, why are you, why are you tying the turkey legs with the string? She said, why are you doing it? Does it, make it? does it make it richer? Does it make it taste better? Is it... Is it <laughs> Is it, that would be a problem. Is it, is it purer? Does it make the turkey purer when you tie the legs up that way? And the mama said, no, that's the way my mama, and that's the way grandmama did it. So they're like, we're going to grandma and find out why grandma did it. So they go to grandma, like, grandmama, why do you tie the turkey legs with the strings? Because I know mama did it, and now I'm doing it. Why do you tie? Does it make it richer or purer, make it taste better? It holds the juices in. She said, no, nah, baby, my pan was too small, and I had to tie the legs or it would be flopping all out the pan. Y'all, that's the turkey principle. There wasn't no reason to do that. Go to the source. That's what they did. They went to Grandma. Go to the source, y'all. This is the source. We want to be doing something, whatever it is. It needs to be grounded in the truth claims that Scripture makes, right? Okay. So the people then... And I'm going to say probably today. Those things that we're talking about, they are literally put ahead of the lives and the salvation of men and women. Don't wear a hat in church. You're going to hell if you wear a hat. Look at you. Got a hat on. His salvation is in jeopardy. We got two hats right here. Caitlin, will you talk some sense into them? You know what I'm saying? Like, are you kidding me? None of those things have anything to do with the gospel. None of those things have anything to do with salvation. Have you ever felt that way in church, though? They're looking at all the stuff that you're doing that just doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. All it does, And the devil locks onto that stuff. 
and he gets you off a little bit. And before you know it, you got a hat worship in church. Like, what are you even talking about? That's, you go to a place and it's all about the tradition and it's all about the rituals and they spend a lot of time majoring in the minors. I want us to major in the majors. You know what the majors are? That's the majors, right? They spend so much time majoring in the minors that, that, that they completely miss the point. When Jesus hammers the Pharisees in Matthew 23, it's all about this. You're straining out a gnat right? You can't do this and you can't do that. It's just nuts. It's nuts. Mm, I don't think so. The people should be rejoicing that people got saved. That's what they should be rejoicing in. Peter just led a house full of people to the foot of the cross and they got saved. Right? But they want to criticize him. Not rejoice that people lost people who were headed straight to the pit of hell. That those people got saved. That's what they should be rejoicing in. That those people had come into a relationship with the creator of the universe. No, no. Instead, their spirits were full of contention. Their spirits were, were full of divisiveness because some of their religious practices were violated. Now again, tradition is not bad because it's tradition. Bad tradition is bad, right? It's the reason, it's the why. It's the why because the why matters. The why totally matters. What we're talking about, if you took all of this, we're talking about legalism. We're talking about where the rules and the regs get put in front of the cross, where the rules and the regs get put in front of the lives and the eternities of people. It's legalism. And we got to guard ourselves against legalism. Look, I love me some Jeff Foxworthy. And you're probably thinking, where in the world is he going? <laughs> and this reminds me, this issue reminds me, and all of y'all know the shtick, you might be a redneck if. Well, your pastor might be a redneck if he's doing Easter prep and he looks like that. Really and truly, though, this is what it reminds me of. You might be in a legalistic environment, and there's hundreds of these. I just want to give you, I don't know, three or four. You might be in a legalistic environment if legitimate questions are all, almost all legitimate questions are always framed as salvific. They're framed as salvation questions. They're framed as gospel issues. Have you ever been in a Bible study or a, or a Sunday school class where you can't ask a legitimate question without being looked at like you've lost your mind? Like, here's just an example of one of those. Do you believe that the earth was created in seven, in, in a week of literal 24-hour days? Or do you believe that there could be eons in between there? I believe it's 24 hour, you know, a week of 24 hour days. Okay. Like my salvation or your salvation is not in jeopardy depending on where you fall on that issue. But there are many, many people that will look at you and say, you don't believe it's 24 hour day. You are going straight to hell. 
Y'all, that's just not the way it is. If you, if you, if you, if you, I'll give you one that's not. Well, I don't believe that Jesus died on a cross and went in a grave and came out alive. That's a salvation issue. You tracking with me? Look, if you, if people can't ask legitimate questions, then they can't wrestle through the issues and discover the truth claims that are made in this. You, you got to, if this book is true, you could press it and press it and question it and stomp on it and, and until the, the cows come home, you can, it can take it, you can throw everything you got against it, and if it's true, it'll withstand every bit of that. Amen. Don't be scared to question it, but be honest when you question it, because it's going to be true. And then when you buy into it, then you're accountable to the one to whom it's talking about. That's why people avoid those things. I'm going to say this. The reality is, you cannot sustain a faith that cannot sustain questions. Somebody write that down. That's kind of good. You cannot sustain a faith that cannot sustain questions. Number one. Number two is this. You might be in a legalistic environment if people are judged only by the content of their theology rather than by the fruit that they demonstrate. And that's not to say theology and doctrine are unimportant. Don't go out of here and think that. Of all people, that's not what I believe. But you can't be a fruitless Christian. There ain't, there ain't no such thing as a fruitless Christian. Jesus said you'll know them by their what? By their fruit. He didn't say you'll know them by their Ph.D. in theology. He said you'll know them by their fruit. But legalistic churches and organizations, parachurch organizations or whatever, they don't ask what fruit are the people showing. Instead, they insist on doctrinal purity over demonstrating the love of Christ. It's orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right doctrine. Orthopraxy is right practice. You need both. You need to know why you believe what you believe, and you need to act it out. The Pharisees knew Scripture like the, they quote the whole Bible to you. And then they went out and lied and cheated and stealed and were ugly and nasty to people. That's not the way. You need both. You might be in a legalistic environment if that environment it, it insists on a certain political stance. Ooh. If you're told who you must vote for. You can't be a Christian if you vote for this person and you, you call yourself a Christian, you're voting for this person. If you're told that politics is a gospel issue, then the, then the church just might be legalistic. And don't, and don't think this is just a mistake that people on the right make. People on the left make it too, y'all. And I do believe that our faith ought to influence the way we vote. Of course your faith, your belief, your trust in Christ ought to influence every, area, every aspect, every area of your life, should it not? It's not just for Sunday morning. You don't check it all when you walk out the door. So, of course, it should influence the way that you vote. But I also believe that authentic, born-again, new creation Christians can actually disagree on stuff and still be a Christian. Do y'all get that? There's not just one stance and it's not a gospel issue. And it's not a salvation issue. 
you might be in a legalistic environment if, if there's too simplistic a view on, on blessings and cursings. You think about how a legalistic Christian culture keeps its members. It tells you that you'll be happy and successful in life if you follow all the rules and the regulations and you'll be punished if you don't. If your life is bad, then it's probably because you're being bad. So it's fear that keeps people involved rather than love and devotion or a shared sense of, of purpose or rallying around the cross. Listen, legalism is a gospel block. It's a gospel block. It stands in the way of, it gets in front of, and it's poisonous. And yes, there is always a balance because are we called to live a holy life? Of course we're called to live a, live a holy life. Of course, but we also got to be discerning, y'all, and allowing another guy to determine what you should think and what you should do and what you should believe is in conflict with the liberty that we have in Christ. It's in absolute conflict with the gospel because Christianity is not a set of rules to follow. It is a relationship with a risen Christ that you follow. Paul wrote, Romans chapter 8, he said for all, best chapter in the Bible, he said for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. They were singing about that just a little while ago. When you embrace Christ, you become a child of God. So if the environment that you find yourself in does not promote spiritual growth, but instead it stifles and shunts your spirit and forces mindless obedience, then please find a different Christian community to be in because it ain't right. Prejudice, discrimination, rituals, rules, regs, they can totally blind us to to God's purposes, and his major purpose is to reach all men and women with salvation, to reach all men and women with the best news ever about salvation. Everyone ought to be reached. No matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter their last name, no matter their pedigree or lack of a pedigree, whatever it is, wherever they come from, the mission is to reach everyone. The church's mission is to reach the dirty and the clean, the rich and the poor, the black and the white, everybody. That is our mission. Here's another thought for you. If we as believers are called to do the Lord's will, which is to reach and evangelize the world, then we will often have to break tradition. That may make you cringe. I don't know. We may have to buck the tide of doing things the way that they've always been done. You just might have to untie the turkey legs. Somebody hashtag that one, untie the turkey legs. Y'all, we may have to break tradition. Now, we're not going to break a tradition that is steeped and grounded in biblical truth. But it's not about the way things have always been done. And if we do that, you better expect criticism. 
you better expect to get hammered from the traditionalist and the legalist. One of our values, and it's been one of our values as a church for 10 years, and I love it, is that we will do anything short of sin to remove barriers and obstacles to reach people who are far from God. Anything short of sin, right? I'm not going to go commit sin to reach somebody. I'm going to skirt the line, though, baby. I'm going to get up to the edge. People's forever are in jeopardy. Do y'all get that? When somebody dies lost, don't forget where they're headed. There's no second chance. It's just what we do. It's what we do. We are called to bring light into darkness. You can't bring light into light. We're called to bring light into darkness. If I got to be where darkness is, Lord, put a hedge of protection around me and let me go in the dark and share your light. So initially, the scope of the church's early vision was super narrow, super traditional, number one. Number two, God had a whole nother vision for his church, and that was this. His vision was a worldwide mission, starting in verse 5 of chapter 11. is a recap of what happened to Peter and Cornelius, and you've got it in your worship guide, the scripture. Uh, I'm not going to read over it all again. I think it's going to be on the screen um, behind me, I think. Um, but I want you to see what it is that Peter stresses here. And what he stresses is God's will and the worldwide mission that is at the core of God's will. That the door of salvation is being thrown wide open. The stress is very much on God's intervention in the whole thing. God's acting, God's moving, God's intervening. God's revealing, God's leading. He's making his will crystal clear in these chapters. And Peter stresses, I'll just give you some bullets from some of the verses. And this is the stuff that Peter is stressing as he's telling this story to the guys in Jerusalem. That there was a, a trance and a vision in verse 5. A trance, well, where, where does it come from? It comes from God. That something like a blanket descended down, if you go back and in verse 10, something in chapter 10, something like a blanket descended down from heaven with all the animals on it in verse 5. That the Lord is speaking to him in verse 7. That the Lord commanded him. The Lord commanded him three times in verse 10, and the blanket goes back up into heaven. The Lord raises the blanket back up in verse 10. The timing, the supernatural timing in the arrival of Cornelius's guys down at Peter's house. In verse 12, the Holy Spirit instructing him to go to the Gentiles, instructing Peter to go to the Gentiles. The angels visit to the Gentile Cornelius and his family and his friends, and the angels' instructions for Cornelius to go get Peter. And then in verse 15, the Holy Spirit fall in on the Gentiles, and, his, uh, and, and, and when he fell on the Gentiles, it was just like he had on them. It happened just the way it did when the Holy Spirit fell on the Jewish believers first. Verse 16, that the Holy Spirit fell just as the Lord had promised. And then in verse 17, which is huge, that God gave the same gift, the word is gift that's used there, the same gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. There's not a, a Gentile Holy Spirit for them and a, and a Jewish Holy Spirit for them. No, it's the, he's the same gift. Guys, this is a huge deal. 
and Luke devotes a ton of space in, in Acts to, de, to, to, to give the details of this event. It's stressed more than any other event in the entire book of Acts. The importance of God's will that the gospel be preached to everybody in the world. I can't overemphasize it. That God's will is for a worldwide mission. Number two, now the last thing, these last verses we see how the people, how the body of Christ responds to all this. And their response was spot on. They immediately accepted God's will of there being a worldwide mission. Look at verse 16, 17, and 18. Again, this is Peter talking. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about John the Baptist. Verse 17, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, who was I that I could get in God's way? In verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. You could have heard a pin drop. And they glorified God saying, well, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see a couple things there. You see Peter's conviction. You see the church's conviction. You see Peter convinced of three truths. Number one is this, that, that first you see the, the, the Lord's promise was fulfilled in the Gentiles, that the Gentiles are being baptized with the Holy Spirit. The second thing that you see Peter kind of convinced of is this, that he could not get in God's way. Listen, when you, and this is my personal struggle, I want to pray, Lord, let me be inside your will, let me listen to you, let me follow you, and then I'll run out and do what I want and hope that God comes behind me and blesses it. Peter's like, let me not get in the middle of what you've got going on, Lord. He says it in verse 17. Who is I that I could stand in the way? Peter had nothing to do with giving the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. That gift is from God, and it was his doing alone. And then third is this, that, that it's not circumcision, it's not some ritual, it's not some ceremony, it's not some rule, it's not some, um, some quote, religion, but it is a belief and a trust and faith that causes the Holy Spirit to enter someone's life. We can do nothing for him to indwell us. So we see Peter's conviction, and then we see the church's conviction, that God grants repentance to all men and women, and repentance is a gift. Repentance is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Me and you have the privilege of repenting. You probably never thought about it that way. It's a gift. We have the privilege of turning away from our sin and turning towards the Lord. It's a gift and a privilege. Look what God expects or doesn't expect from you and I. He doesn't expect religion. He doesn't expect ritual. He doesn't expect ceremony. He doesn't expect some social standing or some status or some success. He doesn't expect a specific race, a specific gender, a specific national origin. He doesn't expect some brilliant head knowledge. He expects repentance and trust and belief. That's what he expects. Repentance 
and trust and belief. Repentance leads to life. Abundant life and eternal life are like the end, the the grand finale, the experience of repentance. The person that repents and believes experiences life immediately and lives on experiencing life to the fullest forever. Look at verse 18 again. When they, who's they? All all the, the guys, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, well, then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. That is a monumental verse. It is like the whole chapter, really almost chapter 10 and 11, up to this point just comes to a screeching halt. The theological discussion that they're having just stops with the report that the Holy Spirit had been given to the Gentiles. Major, major, major turning point in the history of the church. Hear these words. They had to accept those who God accepted. You and I got to accept those who God accepts. You probably ought to write that down. That's not in your worship guide. We got to accept who God accepts. You ever heard the story so-and-so got saved and you're like, what? Not them. You know how many times that was said about me? Not him. No way. So what, what, so, so what do we see their response? Their response was just so simple, y'all. They praised God. They praised God. As all these people are talking about the fact that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of turning from sin and turning towards Him and receiving eternal life, y'all, here's what it is. It is a remarkable example of the spiritual health of this baby church in Jerusalem. That's what it is. Even though they had been steeped in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of Jewish rules and regs, they had witnessed enough of God's miracles and signs and wonders over that last few months to know that He was moving and shaking and acting in some very different ways maybe, some very profound ways. God seems to be this great turkey leg on tire. Because that's what he did. He just unleashed the most powerful force that the world has ever seen on the entire world. That's what he did. Listen, even though they had the words and the example of Jesus pointing them towards the Gentile world, we see, and we see this at the end uh, of Matthew 28. He tells them, go make disciples. In the beginning of Acts 1, he tells them, go be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and out, to the, and out to the world. Even though they saw him, and those are his last words, and they heard those words, they had to overcome a lot of apathy towards the rest of the world. And so the fact that they're so open to what God was doing and to Peter's leadership 
it really does speak volumes about the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The Holy Spirit transforms us. Again, the Bible tells us that they immediately praised God. That's a godly response. But sadly, that's the opposite of what happens a lot. Somebody who is different than you, who thinks differently than you, who looks differently than you, who maybe acts differently than you, they get saved in your life. I don't believe it. Or they, they experience blessing. And somehow we secretly mourn their good fortune. I coached a kid one time in Little League. Great athlete. But if another kid hit a home run, he didn't congratulate him. He somehow thought it made him look bad. He said that he would rather hit a home run and lose the game than to strike out three times and win a game. That's a jacked up way of looking at life. But the church does that sometimes. We get in our little holy huddle and somehow our behavior is that we really don't want to let somebody in. Like it doesn't make any sense. But that's what the, early, the very, very early church that we're talking about here did. They were holding Jesus in a little box. No, 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 he's ours. No, he's the world's. We need to embrace what Paul says in Romans 12. He said, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. They immediately praise God. Why? Think about this. Somebody scream out, why did they immediately praise God? No, scream out the answer. That was funny. We didn't plan that, y'all. They immediately praise God because folks are getting saved. Folks are getting saved. People get saved. We ought to have a party. What did the father do when the prodigal son came home? Celebrate. Get the big fatted cow or pig or whatever it was. No, it wouldn't have been a pig. Get the big fatted cow. We're going to have a party. Why? Why? Because my son who was lost is found. Y'all, when you cannot take all, and again, I don't want you to hear this wrong. Traditions are not wrong. Ceremonies not wrong. Rituals not wrong unless they're, unless they're wrong. If they're right, they're right. But the reason cannot be we've always done it this way. I'm not going to do anything for that reason. I'm not. I'm not. Because somebody's forever is in jeopardy. And we've got to pray as a body that we as a body get behind what God's doing. And if y'all ever see me getting in front of what God's doing, drop kick me to the back. Thank you. <laughs> I'm serious though. He's doing ginormous stuff. And we just got to be in His will. Again, let me just say this. We cannot do what we want to do and then ask God to bless it. We cannot do what we want to do and say, hey, God, won't you get, come get in line with me? No, 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 no. We got to pray. We got to all spend more time on our knees. We got to all spend more time 
praying with and for each other, praying that God would lead us as a body where he wants us as a body to go, and then we got to follow him. we got to follow him. And we will do anything short of sin to reach people who are far from God. Anything short of sin. So all we've talked about, really, is what happened um, up in Caesarea and then down in Jerusalem. And what happened is Peter shared the gospel. Peter shared God's word, and people got saved. And what did he share? Repent and believe. Period. If you've not done that before, and you want to do that, the word is powerful. We serve a Lord who will take whatever baggage you got and throw it in the abyss. And all it is is repent, turn away from the sin, turn towards the Lord, believe the death on that cross, the Lord's death on that cross, took care of all of that, and then he walked out of a grave alive to allow you to live with him forever. And if you have done that, y'all, my prayer is that the word today would affect the way that you act and treat people out there tomorrow. Share your story. If you got a Jesus story, share it. Don't beat people up with it. Share it. Under the umbrella of a relationship with another human being. Don't go beating somebody upside the head with the Bible. Go have a cup of coffee with them and share your story. But again, y'all, if you would, just pray with me. And if you have never... If you have never accepted Christ, if you've never said yes to the offer, my prayer is that you would do that today. And it's just as simple as, Lord, today's the day that I turn away that that I that I turn away from my sin. Sorry, and I turn towards you. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross, that you took care of my sin debt, that you took care of a punishment that was really mine to handle, but you handled it. And then, Lord, you walked out of the grave alive. Literally, we're resurrected. And, Lord, and I can look forward to that day as well. Lord, save me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, y'all, if that's you watching or whatever, we've got our prayer team back there in the back. We would love, um, love to pray with you. If you've got anything to pray about, we invite you to go back there or come up. If you've got a bunch of junk you need to leave at the foot of the cross, leave it at the foot of the cross. If y'all would stand up and let's, let's worship.